Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Bible in Order Faith Friday Special Edition with author Peter Young. So grateful that you are here, Peter. I see that you are the author of Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger, a memoir about your rescue from a tiny religious cult. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, David, thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. So this is actually your second book. The first was a novel. Is that right? Yeah, a novel called The Blue Team about faith and basketball. The idea being that you're an athlete's greatest adversary is not the guy trying to block your shot or the teammate who won't pass you the ball or the coach who won't play you, but it's your own mind. We are our own worst enemy. And when the Lord saves us, he saves us from ourselves. Okay. So do you, do you have a, a history, I think, in uh, sports there? I do. I played basketball in college. I coached basketball as a broadcaster. And then, of course, I wrote a book. So yeah, I, I'm, I've had basketball in my blood my whole life. Yeah. In order to write a good book about anything, you better have some experience in it. So uh, yep. congratulations on that. Can you give our audience an idea of who Peter Young is? Hmm. Well, so the Reader's Digest version of my life is I grew up uh, in the 80s and I was going to be the next Larry Bird. I was going to be, you know, his teammate with the Celtics. I was a huge fan. Well, that didn't happen. And then I got into coaching and I was going to be the next John Wooden. That didn't happen. And uh, then I got into sports broadcasting and I was going to be the next Bob Costas. And it wasn't really until about my 40s that I realized the world doesn't need another Larry Bird or Bob Costas. It needs the best me and the Lord created me to be me. So now that I'm an author and I've written books, I'm not trying to be the next, uh, you know, Louis L'Amour or, or John Grisham. I'm just just trying to do my best. And, and yeah. man, I wish I knew that when I was a teenager versus, you know, learning it in my 40s and 50s. But it is what it is. Oh, it, it is what it is. I I tell my kids, and, and our kids' ages are very similar, um, and I think about if they would just listen to me, like if I knew then what I know now, <laughs> yep. I could have rocked high school, man. I yep. could have, it's could have been so much better. But you know, I guess we all have our own journey, right? right. And and I've, my journey has been very interesting. It has been. It's been very fascinating. And the little that I've been getting to know you, um, talk about what inspired you to write a memoir that has now been published and is going all the way around the world affecting people's lives. So the memoir, Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger, came out earlier this year, March of 2023. It you know, briefly details my life, how I unwittingly married into a tiny religious cult. And uh, then for years, I kind of went along to get along with my wife. I love my wife. I adored her. But she was born into this relationship um, where this man, Uncle Robert, was not related to her. Um, was the go-to on everything. He was the expert. He was literally the family guru. And so she honored and revered him, endured him. So did her parents, you know, my in-laws. And uh, then finally, he just kind of took over our lives, destroyed my marriage, destroyed my family, broke it up, challenged my faith. And then I was finally rescued. And so uh, that's been a few years now. And I, I wrote the book and I, and I do podcasts like this, David, because cults, maintain control of their members, gain power in a number of ways, but mainly by isolation, secrecy, and paranoia. So when this all finally broke, my wife left me and the kids thought I was the devil because they were being taught that, nobody knew because I hadn't shared it. So I share it now as kind of a cautionary tale. Listen, here's what happened to me. Don't make the same mistake. Yeah. Yeah. 
what kind of feedback are you getting? I mean, do you ever get, for lack of a better term, fan mail? You know, you, you ever have people reach out and say, your book has impacted me. It's helped me. It's, it's helped turn on the light bulb for me to realize I was in a similar kind of a situation. More than I thought I would. And I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but I have been. Maybe not other people saying I was in a cult. I think sometimes that word can get overused and I was mm-hmm. very cautious about using it. But, you know, looking back now, there's no question I was in a cult. But I'll have a lot of people that will read my book and it triggers something, a lot of triggers of, let's say, a dysfunctional relationship, something that happened in their life. And, you know, they'll read it and they will, you know, kind of pour their guts out to me emotionally, you know, text or email or phone call or a meeting. And I, and I think, you know what? That makes the writing process worth it. If, if even just one person had had that reaction, it, it's, yeah. it's a joy to hear it, really. Well, you're speaking the truth, brother, because I found myself doing the same thing when we were getting to know each other. I was, oh, yeah, that resonated. I remember yeah. the time that I was. So it's, 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 it's a sad but beautiful thing how God uses our pains to help other people. Right. And, um, if you could, if you don't mind talking about how you met your wife, mm-hmm. how your relationship began, and, and how long were you married? So that's how I start the book, because it's a fascinating journey. Um, I was in Southeast Idaho. I was the local sports broadcaster. I was, I was the Bob Costas of local sports. I was doing the 6 and 10 at the ABC affiliate in Pocatello, Idaho. And uh, 28 single, and I was going to this tiny little church, and the pastor started a singles Bible study. Now, come on, why do we go to a singles Bible study, right? You know, I mean, I love the pastor, but so Paige went as well. And uh, I had seen her around town. She was the blonde gal, didn't even know her name, didn't know if she was married or not. Six foot one, long blonde hair, beautiful, you couldn't know. We met at the singles Bible study, started dating briefly, and then, you know, nine months later, we're married. A lot happened in between there, including finding out about the weird family guru and um, his hold on her. I knew I wanted to marry her within like two weeks. And that had never happened before. Hasn't happened since. But I knew I needed to meet this Uncle Robert because she talked about him all the time. So I did meet him uh, a few months later. And I thought, well, you know, he's kind of odd and charismatic, but relatively harmless. So then we got asked her to marry me shortly thereafter. We got married. And I clearly missed the signs that he was not harmless. Mm. What did, curiously, what did the pastor of this little church have to say about any of this? Was he involved at all? Tangentially, he was. So he actually baptized Paige before we met. And I had not, had not met her yet. I had been, yeah, maybe just gone to this church a few times. I wasn't at the baptism, didn't know her. And, um... He also had met this Uncle Robert, the little cult leader of our cult. They kind of got into it over doctrine. And of course, whenever you got into it with Uncle Robert and didn't agree with him, you know, you were a swine. You were a villain. You were to be shunned. So, uh, you know, Paige wasn't really a big fan of this pastor. I reached out to him about a year or two ago after I wrote this book. So this is, we're talking 1996, 97 when all this happened to earlier this year. And he remembered me and, and, and we spoke and I told him about my book. And um, over the years, I'll say this, you know, we would go to church after church, you know, Paige and I, but no pastor ever measured up to Uncle Robert. Only Uncle Robert knew the true gospel. And so therefore, we would always leave church after church because 
the other pastors were uh, ineffective or misleading. And listen, no pastor is perfect. Sure. But, you know, clearly I can look back now. Hindsight's not always 2020, but it can be. And that is that, you know, Uncle Robert supposedly, you know, had the truth cornered, which is okay. silly. Curious, just what did that look like on the day to day? I mean, did Uncle Robert have a church or a ministry, or was he just tangentially um, a, a part of the family that you'd see him at holidays and things like that? Well, we lived during all this time during our marriage, we were mostly in Idaho and Montana. Paige and I, Paige's parents live in Northern Idaho. Uh, Uncle Robert lived in Southern California. So we would see him two or three times a year. We'd have these old conferences where we would sit around the living room and listen to him speak for hours and hours and hours every day. Uh, otherwise, he was just on the phone. And he was on the phone constantly with Paige and my in-laws and eventually me. But, you know, he would be on the phone with Paige for, for long conversations. And I was really not supposed to ask what they were talking about, which, you know, mm -hmm. is so unhealthy for a marriage. Absolutely. It, it kind of flies in the face of the doctrine of leaving and cleaving, as they say, right? right? And, you know, again, he was not her uncle. I'm six foot five, you can't tell, but Northern European looks. So is Paige. Uncle Robert is like five, six from Syria, the bald, olive complexion, you know, jet black hair on the sides. So we don't look anything alike. But she really never did leave and cleave to me in terms of, let's say, ideology or theology, or who really was paramount in her life in terms of who she was going to believe. Peter, what kind of impact did that have on your feelings of your own identity as a man and as a father? Well, eventually I was crushed to the point where, you know, I was encouraged to give up the idea that I was the father. And that's another classic trait of cults where whether it's grandparents, parents, and children, grandchildren, you'll have multiple levels in a family. The cult leader will attack the nuclear family so that everybody now competes to be the most favored child son of the cult leader. Mm. So that's kind of where I was headed. Uh, you know, Paige early on was, was very loving and kind, but as the years went on, rather dismissive of my abilities and traits as a husband and father. And, you know, Uncle Robert always knew right. I was always wrong. So, um, you know, your identity kind of gets worn away and eroded. And instead of, you know, your identity being in the Lord, it's like, well, the Lord plus. And the plus was Uncle Robert. Okay. Because only, again, he knew the truth. What role was reading the scripture, uh, studying the Bible, memorizing Bible verses? What role was the Word of God playing in your life and in Paige's life during this season of your marriage? You know, it's fascinating as I look back because I've read the Bible cover to cover six times in the NIV, King James, and I think um, uh, the Geneva Bible. I read the New Testament in the Geneva Bible. And then I, and every year I go through the New Testament at least twice, you know, all the way through the Gospels to Revelation. So I've read it a number of times. Of course, like you know, you know, you learn something new every single time you read it. But for a while there, you know, again, Uncle Robert knew the Bible really well. Um, and, you know, had read it, supposedly, you know, he would say, you know, hundreds of times, but he clearly knew the Word of God. He would give it his own unique and perverse twist. 
So ironically, there would be times where for me, reading the word of God was more of a, I don't think he's right. You know, Paige believes he said this, my in-laws believe it, but you know, he said what? And so then I would want to read the Bible, partly because I know I'm supposed to, and to draw closer to God. But honestly, David, it was part of it was to be able to kind of draw swords and uh, prove that Uncle Robert was wrong. Mm. And I look mm. back now and I think uh, I was onto something because I do believe he was, he was a false teacher and he would completely twist and pervert the word of God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Satan knows the word really well and tried to use it against Jesus himself. Right. At what point did you, did you see a, a turning point happening in your marriage um, that the end was near? Did you, did you see that on the horizon at all? Or were you surprised by the way things finished? Well, very surprised. I never thought I'd get divorced. Um, I remember Early on in our marriage, maybe the first year, uh, somehow a couple that it was headed for a divorce came up, and Paige says, "I don't care what the lawyers or judges or anybody says. I would never sign a divorce. I, I don't agree with that. I'd never do it." And I remember thinking, you know, as like a 29, 30 year old man, "Wow, I'm so blessed to have this woman as a wife. Like, I'll never have to worry about it." And then, like a year or two later, her parents, who had been married for I don't know 20, 25 years, her, her father was really going through a rough time because, of course, he's listening to Uncle Robert, who's you know driving him crazy. And, you know, of course, doesn't know why he's going crazy. It's because Uncle Robert. But so then he said, I'm going to leave, you know, Paige, I'm going to leave your mother. And Paige broke down in tears and sobbed and begged him not to do it. And she was the one that convinced him not to leave. So that's the backdrop. I thought I would never have to worry about divorce. Okay. Now, I don't give up easily, which I always say makes me either, you know, strong or stupid or, or stubborn. <laughs> I just don't give up easily. And even though Paige was calling me literally uh, the devil, Satan, serpentine, sorcerer, you name it, all these names, clearly had moved on and hated me. I felt like the Lord could rescue our marriage. Unfortunately, he didn't. Um, now, looking back, was I naive? Yeah. Were there signs? Yeah. I'll give you the best one. Short story. She would always look to Uncle Robert uh, for advice, and I would often question that advice, which made me, of course, diminished in her eyes. So at one point, 16, 17 years into our marriage, she said she felt like Abigail. She said, I constantly feel mm -hmm. like I'm Abigail. Mm -hmm. So again, I, you know, I've already read the Bible a few times at this point, but I had to look it up. So the story about Abigail in the Old Testament is where she's married to the drunk, surly, mean Nabal. Mm -hmm. And you know, then the Lord strikes down Nabal, and then Abigail marries King David. Well, he wasn't king yet, but he marries David. Okay, she marries David. So when she said, you know, I feel like Abigail, I was like, well, clearly I'm Nabal, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out who King David is in this mm -hmm. little story here, and that'd be Uncle Robert. And I was stunned. I'm thinking, first of all, I don't drink. You know, my wife thinks I'm this person, I'm Nabal. And uh, I just kind of, again, naive and just thought, it'll get better. It'll get better. Like This, this will not be our marriage. And it just it did not get better. Mm-hmm. Do you have any contact with her now? Very little. It's still very, uh, she's, she has a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness. She's a victim just like I am, really, uh, when it comes right down to it. But she would deny all of this. She would deny that there's a cult. She would deny Uncle Robert's a cult leader. She started to call him her godfather after the fact to try and normalize him. So we have almost no contact other than dealing with our children. Uh, the three, the well, the two youngest still live with me. 
the courts did intervene and sent the children back to me to live with me full time because they recognized that cults are emotionally abusive to kids. Wow. How are, how are the kids doing? Well, we have five. The two oldest, I don't think they have anything to do with rubber booty. Um, so that's good. But they would believe their mom 100% and, and still think I'm the bad guy. So my relationship with them is very strained, unfortunately. But as you know, as a dad, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I hold out hope. I pray for them every day. Uh, then the, the middle child, that's a long story. It's, it's very difficult. Um, she was with me for five years, uh, but now is with her mom. And I, and I, I don't think it's a very good situation for her. And then the two youngest are with me and they, and they get it. They still have their mom as they should. And I encourage that, but they also realize what we went through. They realize what Robert Booty stands for that. Yes, it was a little cult. It was abusive. And, um, they're strong. They're strong kids because of it, because they've been through a lot. Peter, how do you see God working through all of this right now, specifically in regard to your children and your hope for their future? You know, it's interesting because their upbringing is so different than mine. I kind of had it easy. You know, my parents are 89 and 87, still together. I was the youngest of five boys, grew up, you know, nice town, beautiful house. Uh, went to church every Sunday, Christian camps during the summer where I became a Christian as a young teenager, did not really have a whole lot of adversity. Certainly, like every other teenage kid, there's difficult moments. But boy, what my kids have been through compared to me, you know, there are times I just feel horrible that they had to go through this. Um, but the Lord can use anything, you know, Romans 8, 28, and use it for good. I do believe he's using that, all this, you know, mess that we've made for good. And the children, you know, I'd say that their faith is is more uniquely theirs rather than, I think for a lot of kids, it's what I believe because my parents do, right? And, you know, they take me to church every Sunday and I go to private school, which my kids go to private Christian school. But I tell you this much, no one in our private Christian school or our church has been through what those kids have been through. Yeah. So they've been through the refining fire and it's made them stronger. So often this life is used by God to refine us, to, to make us stronger. Um, yeah. and it's when we can learn to embrace the process of being sanctified, it goes so much easier. Um, the verse that comes to mind is in first Thessalonians five, where it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, right. which is very often quoted. But the second part of that is don't give Satan a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold. Right. And it's like there's this this harboring, this unforgiveness it gives the enemy power to to beat us up. You know, he just he just hurts us because God wants to use that to wake us up, to get us to turn to him, but we have to be willing at the same time. I want to expand about what you said when you brought up sanctification. To me, this leads to what was the most evil and wicked thing about Uncle Robert's theology. Now, one of the common characteristics of cults and a cult leader is they act as a gatekeeper to God. Here's how Uncle Robert would do it. And he did it almost specifically with me, but he did it with all the adults in the room. And that was, as you know, as a Christian, salvation comes before sanctification. You can't grow in your Christian faith until you were born again, right? Like a baby can't learn to walk or eat or talk until it's born. He would switch the order, right? So in other words, I 
because I'll talk about what happened with me, had to learn certain things, had to do certain things, had to comprehend certain Uncle Robert phrases and ideas before I was ready to be saved. In other words, Christ is the gate, right? As it says in the Gospels, Uncle Robert tried to put himself as an extra gate because he would have these phrases that, you know, if you didn't understand them, which, you know, they, they, they sound okay, but you won't find them in the Bible. If you didn't understand them or had never heard them before, well, then you were not only not privy to that knowledge, but then you didn't know it, and thus you weren't a Christian. Mm. So in other words, it's almost like you had to be approved by Uncle Robert first, i.e. saved by him, before you could be saved by God. And that's what false teachers do. That's what cult leaders do. And that's what he did, which was really the most wicked thing he did, because we do not need any intermediary between you and I, or me, I'll go me, and the Lord. I can go directly to him, Abba, Father, fill in the blank, right? I need help. I need this, whatever. Yeah. I trust you. I believe in you. That was never good enough for Uncle Robert. He injected himself in the middle of that. And that's wicked. That is. I mean, Jesus said, call no man teacher, right? There's, I think it's in James that says, call no man father. Um, and it's not to say that we can't refer to somebody as father in a relationship, but right. we just don't elevate somebody and put them in the position that they are between us and God. So my in-laws, um, you know, again, have known Robert Booty ever since they went to a small seminary in Southern California back in the late 60s, early 70s. And, um, you know, then at that point, Robert, you know, kind of developed and started this very parasitic dominant relationship. So it's been going on for over 50 years. And so they're all in their late seventies now. And my in-laws, former in-laws, call him dad. They literally call him dad because they believe that he, they might not say they believe that he saved them, but without him, they couldn't have been saved. Wow. And I remember hearing this thinking like, this is so unbiblical. And yet they all thought there was nothing wrong with it. Well, if you hadn't known the word of God, you would have not known the difference. Right. So the lesson in that for all of us. Peter, what would you say to people who might question your motives? Um, I mean, it, it's honestly a little uncomfortable having this conversation about people who aren't here to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure you would wrestle with that as you were thinking, do I publish this? Do mm -hmm. I not? What was that logical process like for you? Sure. Well, I did wrestle for a while whether or not I should publish it. I had, you know, put a lot of hours into the book writing it, not knowing whether or not will I ever publish this, or maybe years down the road when the kids are older. I talked to a number of people about it, and I think out of all the people I discussed it with, only one was a little hesitant simply because of, you know, gee, do you want any extra attention drawn to your kids? So I changed everybody's first name other than Robert Booty because I do believe he's a false teacher and needs to be called out. I think, you know, other people need to be um let's say, protected and warned about him. Um, but in the book, I'm very kind to Paige, and I also make it very clear that despite everything that you know she has done and said, which is pretty bad, she's a victim, just like I am. She is yeah. brainwashed by a cult leader, a false teacher, just like I was. Unfortunately, she knows no other. My hope was that for years, and this was kind of how I had to mature my thinking, was that she would read my book. I don't know if she has or not. And, and she would have a road to Damascus type moment. And I would pray for years that the Lord would open her eyes and ears as, you know, my oldest children, the in-laws, et cetera. Um, and that she would have a road to Damascus moment and the Lord would show her that this person is a danger to her. 
and he's not who she thinks he is. Um, I, I finally, you know, matured to the point where I realized, you know, the Lord does not need me. He could do that on his own. <laughs> he doesn't need me to spell it out because he's the one that showed me that as well. Um, so I, I, I don't have any misgivings at all about, about the book to me. Um, it's all the truth because again, it's like 380 pages and there's probably a good 50 pages in there that are direct quotes from emails and letters from both Paige and Uncle Robert and others that show like, listen, this is, you know, this is clearly unbiblical. It's not my words. It's theirs. So for the purpose of the book, the, the reason that you put it out, it was primarily as a, as a warning. It's like mm-hmm. sound the alarm for people who might be in a s- similar situation and not even realize it. You know, I really published it for my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, my youngest has read it. My second oldest is reading it. I'm not sure about the other three because I wanted them to know the full story because they didn't know it. Uh, I had been silent for so long. They had heard the direct opposite, you know, from other people in their lives, you know, their mother, Uncle Robert, their in-laws. And I, you know, just had to kind of you know, point out here is the truth. And again, it's, it's very objective because I quote these people so much in this book. So I wanted them to know it. Uh, and I wanted other people that, that maybe kind of heard a little bit about our story to, to know the truth. And then from, let's say, the 30,000-foot view looking at the airplane, yeah, um, this is a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. And my tale, I think, my story could hopefully make very clear to people that, number one, it could happen to anybody. Nobody thinks they're going to join a cult. Nobody thinks, eh, it'll never happen to me. I was the same way. Mm-hmm. I didn't join a cult. I went along to get along with my wife, and that's where I ended up. And they're probably more prevalent than we think, small religious cults. And they can easily hide in society. So when you read my book, you know, again, most people who've read it, who, who know me here in Montana, they had no idea. And they feel bad looking back. Like, I should have stepped in and said something or done something. And I say, it's okay. Nobody knew. Well, you read my book and hopefully somebody out there will read it and say, oh my, I need to call Cousin Bob or whatever, yeah. right? Obviously, divorce is horrific, and yeah. having gone through it myself, it's it is incredibly painful. To even even when you don't like the person, it's still hard. Um, and not to discount that at all, but can you give us a picture of how you were harmed personally, and how your kids were harmed even by this cult? Harmed, you said with an H, harmed. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's 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 very clear. Um, okay. First of all, you know, kids inherently or innately, you know, are, are born to love their mom and dad, right? I mean, that's mom's mom and dad is dad. You know, unless you know one of them is just overly you know, violent, or physically, or sexually abusive, which there was none of that in our marriage. There was no infidelity, no sexual abuse in the cult at all, no physical violence whatsoever. Paige and I were completely faithful to each other. I desperately tried to avoid avoid uh, the divorce. Uh, but after the fact, I think Paige finally realized that, you know, this is, you know, she's leaving a, an unfaithful husband. So then the narrative had to switch to, well, he was never a Christian. And so therefore, we're going to tell the kids that, no, you, your father is really not your father. He's a bloodline, a sperm donor. They started saying all this. So in legal terms, they call that parental alienation. And, you know, people involved with our case said it was the worst case of parental alienation they'd ever seen. And that's emotionally abusive to kids. You know, what kid wants to hear the fact that their dad's a sperm donor and a bloodline and a devil? So my kids had to hear all that in addition to a lot of other stuff. And then, you know, you 
divorce is um, the way I liken it is like it's a clear glass lake, right? And the, the surface of the water is like glass. And our marriage certainly wasn't perfect, but I sure loved being married versus being divorced. And the person who wants a divorce is kind of like they throw a rock into the lake. And then it splashes, and then there's the ripple, and the ripple, and the ripple, and the ripple. Now it's 10 feet, 20 feet, 30, 50. Before you know it, the lake is covered with these ripples. And that's what a divorce does. It affects everybody. Um, and you don't know it. You don't see it. I don't think anybody going to a divorce realizes how it affects so many people in a negative way. Yeah. No one is left untouched, for sure. Yeah. So, um Peter, can you talk a little bit about the the road to redemption and how God has personally ministered to you um, during this time of restoration? Well, I've certainly learned a lot. I can say that much. Um, I, I tell people that I wish I could have learned all these lessons a different way. But, you know, my life is kind of the perfect example of, you know, I had what I wanted to get done. I had my idea. This is how it's going to go, Lord. You know, have you seen my checklist, by the way? I can give you a copy of it. Here's what I'm going to do. After I become the Larry Bird, you know, I'm going to be the next this and that. And, uh, you know, the Lord's plans are greater than our plans. So obviously I know that now. Um, but it's it's almost like a daily reminder. You know, I have to pick up my cross, deny myself, and follow him on a daily basis. It's a lot easier now that he's given me the ability to do it. Um, but I can look back at the mess of my life and still give thanks for everything that I've learned because I have learned a lot. And then people will say, oh my gosh, you've been through so much. I feel so sorry. I'm like, well, number one, thank you. But number two, don't feel sorry. Um, everybody's gone through something. You either are right now or have or will at some point. And it's how we respond to it. Absolutely. And then some people will say, well, it's great that you didn't give up on your faith. Uh, you don't get angry at God, to which I say, I wouldn't be here <laughs> if I had given up on my faith. Mm, absolutely. Where do you see yourself going from here, Peter? Mm. Well, being a good father, um, being the father that my children need me to be is probably, you know, kind of the number one priority, you know, in addition to following my heavenly father and growing my faith as I continue to do. But, you know, we have seasons in life. And right now, this season, I'm still a single dad is to, um, be there for my kids because they've been through so much. And being a single dad is hard. It's a lot of work. And uh, I guess I've never been really good at doing a, um, a bang-up job on really kind of planning. You know, one year from now, I'll be here. Two years from now, five years from now. I had big ideas. And I always have big ideas. But I, I've kind of backed off of those big ideas to, you know what? Um, I'm thinking about what I'm going to make for dinner tonight. For the kids, yes. right? Yeah. I'm thinking about what I, you know, what are we going to do this weekend, the kids and I. And so I'm much more short-term focused on the kids because you know they grow up fast; they're gone. Blink they of an do. eye, and absolutely they do. Man, I I have really just felt a heart connection with you, and I'm I'm grateful to have had you here. Uh, I, I hope that people will go out and get a copy of your book and, and read it and learn from it and maybe send it anonymously. Um, would, would you mind talking about how that light bulb initially came on for you? Now, the light bulb to write the book or the idea that, oh, I was in a cult? That you were in a cult. I kind of gave that away a little bit. Yeah, so I remember uh, getting the book. It was called 
combating cult mind control by Dr. Stephen Hassan. And he wrote a long time ago, then did an updated version. So I get in the mail. I'm thinking, oh, come on. You know, I know it was really bad. Uncle Robert was weird. But I won the cult, sat on my shelf for like a year, and then finally read it. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm just highlighting like, you know, half the page. Because again, you know, cults look very different, different sizes, different outcomes, but at their core, there are a lot of similarities. And so we checked all the boxes. And um I had already been down the road of recovery. So the Lord had really opened my eyes and ears because I'll tell you this much. If I had read that book, David, about cults, before the Lord had opened my eyes and ears, I, I would not have underlined everything. I said, no, 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 that wasn't us. That wasn't us. Once the Lord had made me ready, and I'm sure it, he, he was the one that you know had me wait, then I was ready to understand that book. Ah, holy smokes. We were a cult. Wow. Yeah. Okay, now what am I going to do with that knowledge now? Mm-hmm. Share my story and hope others don't make my mistake. I think um, one of the the dangers of talking about cults is it a lot of times inspires people to go and study cults. But I would just caution people that if you if you know the real thing, it's very easy to spot a counterfeit. You know, the, right. the U.S. anti money counterfeiters are the the anti counterfeiting people um, that work for the treasury they they don't study all of the different counterfeits they study the actual real dollar so that they can spot a fake Um, would you have any advice it kind of in that vein for people who might feel compelled to go and uh, start looking up uncle robert or or any other cult leader Well, I can tell you this, but you won't find anything on Uncle Robert on the internet. And that's that's on purpose. You know, he keeps a very low profile. So you're not going to find hardly anything on him. And, you know, it's interesting, David, because I've now read a number of books on cults. And, you know, once you've read two or three of them, you've kind of read them all. I mean, they again, at their core, they all have the same thing, which is basically a rejection of Jesus Christ's sovereignty. Um, even if cults call themselves Christian, you know, they still want to put their own spin on it, right? They still want to give their interpretation. They still want to inject their role, their being special. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, you can read cult books all day long, but as you said, you know, if you haven't read the Bible, you're not going to know what's wrong with them. Uh, So I start every day off by reading the Bible. I do enjoy reading about other cults because it's kind of, as my brother was telling me, it's kind of my ministry now, right? Like I've been through this. And uh, so I do have, I guess, special insight into, you know, how they operate, what they really do look like. And uh, so the more equipped I can be with, you know, here's what some of the other ones look like, as well as, you know, here's what the Word of God says, that then I can hopefully be a help to others. But absolutely, you know, I mean, you, like you say, you've you got to study the dollar. you got to study the Bible first um, to know how these other ones have gone astray. Yes, indeed. We have to know the original. Peter, how can people reach out to you? I mean, obviously your books are available on Amazon and all of the other places. I I see there's a Kindle version available, but how else can people reach out to you? Sure. So you can find me on my website. It's authorpeteryoung.com. Feel free to reach out to me. Um, I also have another website for my my book, The Blue Team. So that website is blueteamnovel.com. But yeah, go to authorpeteryoung.com, send me an email. I love doing podcasts and I love also speaking publicly. 
to organizations and churches, um, you know, to go through something like this, David, and then, you know, let's say sit and sulk or, you know, get bitter about it. Not doing me any good, not doing anybody else any good. I'm happy to get out and talk about this and share, you know, again, my mess, which is in my rearview mirror, but I'm happy to share it to hopefully be a blessing to others. Yeah. Well, Jesus said lots of false Christs would appear. And, um, and really, that's just anybody who's going to stand against the truth. He is, he is the truth. He is the truth revealed. He is the heart of the Father expressed. And anyone who stands in the way of that or tries to usurp his authority is a false Christ. So right. I thank you for your work, Peter. Thank you for using your testimony to help other people. Yeah. I was taught to doubt my testimony for years, David, that my testimony wasn't good enough. It proved that I wasn't really saved. And that was a lie. A lie, as my friend would say, from the, from the pit of hell. And my testimony now, I embrace it because what my testimony shows is I am a deeply flawed and imperfect individual who is loved by a perfect Savior. That's all I need. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again for being here. AuthorPeterYoung.com, everybody. We'll see you soon. Thanks, David.